This podcast is brought to you by the Caesar Encyclopedia, which is my own weekly email newsletter. It's the place where I share all the cool things that I've learned throughout my week with my friends around the world. I share the books, podcasts, and interesting people I find that help me enjoy life more. And as I travel the world, I also share my favorite adventure spots, the restaurants that blow my mind, and how my view of the world has changed that week. The newsletter is completely free. It comes out only once a week, and it's only available for those who sign up by email. You can sign up using the link in this episode's show notes or by using the link in my Instagram bio. Let's get learning. Welcome to the Dose of Caesar, the podcast that the podcast where I speak to world travelers to uncover how their adventures around the globe have impacted their lives. My guest today is Jacob Garza, who is an entertainer, a storyteller, a photographer, a lover of people, and a world traveler. Jacob has worked with several media companies, including Beck Media and Marketing, Catch Media, and Vertigo, Vertigo Entertainment. He earned his bachelor's degree in radio, television, and film from the University of Texas at Austin in 2020. I first met Jacob when we lived together in Beijing, China. Jacob was the man with the camera while in China. He was always up for an adventure. He was by my side when we first met the infamous character Ghost. And with Ghost, we went on so many crazy adventures. Uh, Jacob, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, man. That was a spot-on fun intro. I've never had one of those before. <laughs> dude. Um, yeah, dude. I'm ex- like we were saying before the podcast, I'm excited. I'm just happy to see you, dude. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, been, cool. it's been a while. Oh, you know, yeah. Just, I mean, I think the last time I saw you is when I sold sold you my carpet, honestly. <laughs> I, bought a, I bought a big-ass yeah. carpet from you. And I was like, yeah. Jacob, what's up? Oh, my good-ass carpet. It, dude, I love I love this carpet. I'm actually on it right now. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> I was getting, uh, but you were you were about to leave to LA, and um, I thought that was so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I did. I mean, I was so I, I was in LA for uh, I think I think that was back in July when I gave you the carpet. Yeah, I went home for maybe a week and then moved to LA for three months right after that. Um, or just about until I graduated in December. Mm. So from August. And you grew up in uh, Texas, right? Mm-hmm. Good old Texas City, Texas, which is exactly where I'm at right now. Texas City, Texas? Yeah, it's a small town in Texas. Uh, it's Sometimes I'll tell people, I'm like, they'll be like, where, where are you from? I'll be like, Texas City, you know, and they'll be like, well, cool. Where in Texas? You know, it's like, well, like it's literally called Texas City, not like a city in Texas. So oh, wow, and cool. what was your? Um, I don't know much about your upbringing or your background, and so mm-hmm. just to kind of like paint a picture before we get into the travels and the adventures, I wanted to know what was your upbringing like. If you could describe it, like what it was like growing up. Yeah, it. The best way I could describe it is it was very. Um, it was it was just like a very humble beginning. I mean, there, there wasn't like. I wasn't super wealthy or anything, but also we weren't struggling. My mom and my dad were educators. My mother was an eighth grade English teacher for 30 years. And my dad kind of jumped around in administration for a while. He was a principal, he coached a lot. Um, and so, you know, growing up around that was always interesting. We, we weren't like great on money, but we like, we had everything we needed. Um, yeah. And it's also just, it's, I think having educators as parents is just an interesting experience in general anyways. 
Um, just because expectations are a little bit different when it comes to school um, in a good way. Um, but also, like, I, I got this really cool understanding of the education system um, as, a, as a child from the education of or from the um, perspective of educators. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my parents would come home and, you know, they, they never, I don't think they really ever spoke like and said anything that was really bad. But you kind of heard like all the critiques of like the education system, at least for my mom. My mom was very vocal about like, this could be better. Um, this is kind of how the culture of like students and stuff have changed over time. But um, so, yeah, I grew up in a house very, like like that. Um, that's a, I wanted to talk about that a little bit. That's interesting that you, um, this understanding of the education system, what, what did you come to understand at a young age? Uh, well, you know, I think, I mean, at, at the most simple base, just like the sacrifices that, you know, we have kind of received from educators. I mean, seeing my mom every day, um, putting in really sincere work towards her eighth grade students. Um, but also like, I remember just her describing to me, she could see how the kids were changing, but also, uh, she could see how like the education system would change, especially as they cycled in different, um, administrators. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think from, for a while, like our perspective was very similar to like, uh, we just wanted the, the schools and, and, and the system to be a little bit more hard on students. If that makes sense. We, we felt like they kind of let a lot of things go, which really like kind of was at the fault of the potential of students who could do really great things, but weren't being reaching their full potential because, you know, the school districts really just wanted to kind of get them through everything. Like, yeah, we just want to move them on instead of really trying to make sure like, Hey, do they know this material? It's like, it doesn't really matter if they know the material, if we can just get them to t- show us once that they know the material, then it just push them forward. And it was frustrating because you'd get students who were, you know, in the 10th grade who were at like an eighth grade reading level or, you know, yeah, didn't know like, common American history or like where the 50 States are. Um, and so that was something that kind of came up a lot was just like, man, we really wish that they would not let things go. So easily not in a way that would, you know, be harmful to the students, but in a way that was like, are we actually focused on what they're learning? And also like, what are the, what they're learning? Is it important? Um, and it might not have been that well thought out when I was, you know, a kid, but mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was definitely helpful seeing my mom vocalize those things and it just made me work harder. You know, I, I wanted to make sure that I knew things that I would talk about. Um, but if I was going to like go to class for something, I wanted to learn it. And that kind of happened in college a lot. Um, cause you know, even in college, I saw people who would go in to classes and were just big on just getting through it, you know, just like, yeah like oh let me study for this test just for the sake of this test and especially early on in, in college I was really gung-ho about like no I I genuinely want to learn this like I'm going to read like the assigned readings because like there's a reason for it and I want to know what I what I could possibly get out of it um and so I think my mom really helped me out with that in that sense um or at least our conversations did yeah and and when you're um when you're growing up, did you already know, what did you want to do? What was What did you want to do when you grew up? Oh God. Um, was that like a thing you thought about? <laughs> I mean, no, it was definitely a thing I thought about. Um, 
but it wasn't something I had even now a great answer for uh, just because I knew I wanted to do something I loved. And to be honest, like in my childhood, I didn't, you know, I would say my, my father didn't give me a ton of choices. And so mm-hmm. it was kind of hard for me to, you know, decide for myself what I wanted to do. And by the time I was really thinking about like, you know, what do I want to go do? I hadn't really tried enough stuff yet. And so, you know, yeah. I knew I was like good at math and I was like, you know, I could maybe do like engineering, you know, I could, you know, oh, yeah. something that's going to make yeah a lot of money and <laughs> <laughs> which was like, you know, like, that's good. That's fine. I think, I think to some degree you need to be practical and a little bit logical about your career choices, but also like, if you're not happy, re- honestly, there's just no point to it in my mind. And I remember sitting in calculus one day, just doing a bunch of algorithms and whatnot, whatever you would do in calculus. Like, I don't remember. It's been five years at this point in high school or college in, in high school. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And I knew I loved movies. I knew I loved storytelling from a very young age. I was watching movies religiously by the time I was like five years old, six, eight, maybe, I don't know, yeah. a little kid. And I started making like YouTube videos and, I think fifth grade with my friends. And then I started acting in high school and it's, it eventually just kept evolving. Everything pointed to like, Hey, you really like entertainment. You really like film. You like these type of things. And it just kind of clicked one day. I was like, you know what? I, I really need to go into film. I don't know what I'm going to do in film, but it's very clear to me that that's the thing I love the most. Cause that's what my life kind of pulls me to. And so. this was before college. This was before college. Yeah. And how do you decide to go to UT Austin, the University of Texas at Austin? Yeah. Um, well, I think a lot of things kind of played into it. I, a lot of people have the privilege of just like, they're like, oh, this is the college I want to go to. I'm going to go there. And then they're like, I went on the campus and I knew immediately this was the place for me. Right. Like, yeah, yeah. I did not have that at all. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> That's the experience that I had when I was visited UT Austin. I was like, this is it. I don't really, I'm done here. <laughs> we we're coming here. Yeah. I, I was so opposite. I was like, I, I don't really like the campus. It, it felt weird to me. All the other places I visited, I was like, nah, but I knew that UT had the best film program in Texas. And I also wanted to go somewhere in Texas because of in-state tuition. Yeah. Um, and which really played a, a big role in it. Cause otherwise I would have been going to, I don't know, like UCLA or, you know, NYU or something, Mm. somewhere that like put me in the hub of entertainment within the kind of film industry or TV industry. Uh, But like, we couldn't afford that, Um, you know? Mm -hmm. So we were just like, yeah, like UT will be fine. And I was already, I applied to UT already for the engineering program. And once I got in, it's kind of like, well, like it can't be that hard just to flip it around and switch it. And so you mean you mean like a film radio film and television your degree yeah yeah i got in for engineering and was kind of just like i mean at that like i was jumping around a lot still kind of like i don't and i also had like this weird thing in my head like i couldn't start college yeah and change like like without knowing what i was going to go into i was like you know what mm. i need to know i have to have it down so i'm not switching around and i can get through it in four years which is, wasn't the case. Like, I mean, I got to college and I was like, you know, it's okay to jump around a little bit. Like I, I 
had a business minor briefly. I was double majoring in theater for a second. Um, but yeah, I, I had gotten in for mechanical engineering and then was like, let me, let me switch over to film, see how this goes. And I just ended up sticking with it and loved it. And I say it like, as if it was just like, Oh, it just kind of happened. I really loved film. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And what so was it about it that you really loved? Um, for, well, for me, uh, I mean, again, I think it, it just goes down to, I just love like the nuance of storytelling. I love when people put a lot of meaning, meaning into the stories that they tell, uh, you know, I don't know. There's just so many films out there that have a positive impact and are able to bring people out of the world that they kind of live in, which was the initial draw to it. I think I, you know, in the life that I was growing up with, I was, there was a lot of times I was like, you know, I'm not super satisfied with the world that I'm in, but movies kind of served as an escape for that. Mm. And then I began to see how movies meant to other people and then I just began to see how like movies could mean so much individually. Um, and, and just, they could have such a voice and impact on, you know, maybe not like a huge group of people, but like a single film can mean a lot to one person. Um, yeah. and I wanted to be a part of that. Um, when I start, started dabbling and making films of my own, there's also just like a sense of accomplishment with starting with nothing and then building something that other people get to experience. Um, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever built like a chair or like a table, like an Ikea table or dresser. Yeah. But yeah. It's like this, you do it and you're like, yeah, I just did that. Like, that was good. Like I built some wooden crates and um, <laughs> once I built them, I was like, dude, I did that. <laughs> yeah, it feels good. It feels like it feels like an accomplishment. And I think that's kind of uh, what, I mean, <laughs> to a much bigger degree, because it just takes so much to like, there's so many things that go into making a movie and um, it really is a miracle when like, a, I don't, I still don't understand how films get made knowing logistically everything that has to happen and fall into place, the amount of things that go wrong, but the fact that they get made is a miracle and on its own. And um, being why? A part why, of that, why do you, why is it so, why do you call oh it God. a miracle? There's just so many things that could possibly go wrong that you just don't, always account for and of course once you get to up to like the higher levels like when you're working on like a big hollywood film they're they're going to account for everything like if you're working on a like a lucas film movie you know yeah. for star wars everything's going to be accounted for but you you work for you know something smaller or people maybe like directors a little bit less experienced you know you're going to run <laughs> run into some issues whether it be you know bad weather uh, your your uh, talent is like sick you're sick um, maybe there's like some sort of like logistical issues that are happening with your venue like you know and then you start losing days and as a producer all that you know kind of comes out to equaling is money like you're just losing money by like all the all these funds going to making your film and you only get so much because your studios are only going to give you so much money so it, it becomes a very stressful process and for everybody on set, there's just like a plethora of things that can go wrong. And you're, it's like, okay, this is my job to fix this thing. And it requires a lot of people, a lot of people being on the same page. And if you're not like, it could easily crumble. Do you have any uh, films in the last year that are like your favorite that meant a lot to you? 
Hmm. Oh, that's such an interesting question because we, with this last year, we just haven't had that many movies come out. So I actually had a privilege, the privilege of catching up on a lot of films that I haven't um, mm-hmm. seen in the past. And so for me, at least uh, one movie that really stuck out to me was Manchester by the sea. Surprisingly, Manchester I've heard, I've sea. heard mixed things. I don't, have you seen it before? I have not Manchester by the sea. It's really good. It's Casey Affleck. Um, I think it was in the, the round of films might've been 2019, 20, no, I think it was like 2018, the, the same, like kind of 2016, I think was it 20. Oh, it was 2016. Uh, yeah. I just, uh, searched it up. It's 2016. Okay. Yeah. I was trying to think, cause I was like, maybe that was like, you know, with like Lady Bird and, you know, but maybe that was more like Moonlight. What was it about thing. this movie that, that like, uh, meant a lot to you? So for me, it juggles a lot with. Um, sort of just like the hardships of life and going, you know, through this last year with what it was, I mean, it was a difficult year. Um, Mm -hmm. and like, like, I mean, like we talked about, like you thought I was in LA, you know, Yeah. the year just kind of led to a point where like, I basically had to leave LA because my whole plans kind of just like altered and shift. So it was like a rough year, you know? all the plans that I had weren't playing out to the way that I kind of envisioned them. Things that I wanted to happen weren't happening. The things I prepared for weren't happening. And so this movie kind of in essence takes this man and a lot of films, which you'll see is it'll take a character. Cause I kind of noticed this with people's like reviews and how people have described it. They don't like it cause it's not a happy ending. It's sad. The main yeah. character doesn't grow. A lot of movies, it'll be like, okay, here's your protagonist. Here's your main character. Let's see where they grow from like point A to point B from the beginning of the film to the end of the film. What this movie kind of does is instead of showing you the protagonist growing, it kind of forces the the viewer to grow and your perspective on this character. So the character doesn't change, but your perspective from point A to point B, beginning of the film to end of film changes on him. So you kind of start the movie and you're like, man, this guy's a jerk. He's such a like a-hole to the people around him. He takes his anger out. Like there's not really a reason to, and you know, it presents some things to you at the beginning. You're like, oh, he's like upset because his like brother's sick, which isn't really a spoiler. Um, so don't mm. have to worry about that. But um and then you watch the film and you're like, oh, like that's why he's such an angry dude. And that's why he's like, yeah, you, you're like, that's why he's in so much turmoil. And by the end of the film, you're like, well, at least for me, I watched it and I was like, you know, if someone who can go through these type of hardships in their life, like it, it's literally, it, it's a movie. It's like, what, what's the worst case scenario that could happen to a, a person pretty much? And it's like, if somebody can live through that and then actively decide every day to wake up, be like, you know what, I'm just going to going to keep going. Like, I don't know where I'm going to keep going to. I don't know what the plan is. Like my entire life is falling apart, but you know, the most I can do is keep kind of walking um, and taking care of his nephew who's experiencing hardships, but like, doesn't really understand what hardships look like yet. Mm. And he's like kind of guiding his young nephew who's like struggling with like anxiety and panic attacks. And I don't know, it, it gave me this perspective of like, if someone can live through these things, like why can't I just live through the things going on in my life right now? And it, it, it turned out to be really encouraging for me and made me realize like, you know, with all these times 
with these expe- expectations I'm having right now, you know, of post-grad where I, where I thought I'd be and none of that happening. Um, all, sometimes all you can really do is just keep moving forward. And that movie really did a good job of kind of sh- sharing that with me and helping me just keep move, moving forward in 2020 when it was feeling really hard to. Um, wow. So re- I, I highly encourage Manchester by the sea. Um, great movie. It is like, don't like, don't get me wrong. It is like very tonally depressing and sad. Um, <laughs> but like, I think it's a beautiful film. And the reason they're doing that is so that if you look hard enough, you're going to see like the really beautiful things in, in, in the relationships and kind of the melancholy that happens in that film. Wow. I love your explanation of that film. Like I could tell by that explanation, how much you appreciate a good story. Because yes. uh, <laughs> the way you broke it down and you, you know, talking about understanding um, when we travel the world, I think uh, one of the cool things is that you get to understand more of the world. Do you think it's helped you going to China? Do you think it helped you like uh, tell better stories or about the world? I, yeah, no, I definitely do. I think it helped honestly being with Dr. Leonard Moore. Um, I don't like, I don't know how much it would have helped if he wasn't there kind of, well, he was kind of the first person that showed me how to, I guess, see the world differently. Not even see, like, he gave me the tools I needed to start understanding the world for what it was um, instead of what I thought it was. Um, Which, like, as as any young person, I think to some degree, everyone's at some point kind of like, oh, I've got this figured out. I know. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, you're you're coming from like your small town bubble that you mm-hmm. like the people you've been around your entire life. You don't have it figured. You really don't. you like, there's so many things that you, you haven't seen yet. You don't understand. Um, and you don't see the bubble, right? You don't yeah, see the bubble. This thing about a bubble. I love it because I, I keep talking about it, but it's like, yeah, a bubble. Exactly. And you don't know that you're in a bubble until I guess you're really told. And that's kind of what happened with, Dr. Moore is he was like, yeah, like there's a lot more out there. Here are the tools for you to recognize that there are experiences different from your own. And here's how you can actively learn about them and then begin to understand those experiences. And so with that, I feel like I was extra prepared going into China and then beginning to see or really just notice like everything that was different about their culture. Um versus our own um mm. and i wanted yeah. to ask you sorry sorry to interrupt but like i'm interested to hear what was your bubble what was your bubble my bubble oh my goodness uh, my bubble i think it would most likely resemble generally like a small town in that um it's you know southern i, I want to describe it as either rural or urban it's kind of a combination between the two but it was uh in a lot of ways it's kind of like a pool between conservative and ghetto. <laughs> so mm. it's this weird dichotomy between um, people were being kind of like Southern Baptist, um, very gung ho about like, you know, your Southern hospitality. And then we had the other side of the spectrum, which is just like kind of hood, you know, uh, people talked a certain way. Like yeah, I'm sure a lot of people can relate with this. Like, your high school has like their own vernacular, right? Like there's a way that people speak to each other and it's like, 
I, I and everybody else from Texas City knows there's a specific way people from Texas City speak to each other when you grew up here. Um, now, you won't, wouldn't speak to people that way going out to the world, but like you, it's like when you go home back to your hometown friends, you have the exact same way of like, oh, we'll say this thing and they'll know exactly. What I mean. um, and so, yeah, it was it was a very contained bubble. A lot of people, you know, will go out into the world maybe for a little bit and they come on back, which is like so scary about being back at home. So like, I don't want to get stuck here. Um, what, tell me about that. Tell me about that. Cause not a lot of people have that. Like the, the I don't want to get stuck here. Yeah. I, well, it's just such a common thing for people in, in my hometown that, um, I don't, I, I don't feel like it's an, un or an irrational fear. I think it's, I think it is rational. I don't think it'll happen to me. I think it's irrational for myself because mm-hmm. I'm not the type of person that's just going to like stay where I'm at and be like, Oh, you know, like I'll just live here forever you know (laughs) you got this like a longing for seeing what's out there you know after talking to dr moore and the way he explains that like you Mm -hmm. said like there's uh there's so much that comes with travel but yeah that's that's in you yeah well and like even when you just get like a taste of it like you just you've traveled for the first time and then you realize like oh my god there is so much more out there you know it's like even at, at worst like I would move back to Texas, right? Like I would, I wouldn't mind settling yeah. down here, but I know there's still so much out there that I want to experience. Let me do that first mm-hmm. and then I'll come back to Texas. Um, and so that's like a common thing that, you know, people will come back to Texas city. Um, but also like a lot of people in the town will say, you know, like, Oh, don't like, don't, it's almost like anti-travel. It's like, Ooh, like I remember when I was going to UT, really? people were like, Oh, you're going to Austin. Like that's a really big school. Like it's that, you know, you gotta be careful. It's really kind of like liberal up there and, you know, wow. Yeah. And I heard that a lot. People were just really scared. And also like when I was mentioned, I would like, you know, would briefly mention like, yeah, I want to go to like California maybe one day to work in the entertainment industry. And people were like, Ooh, like Los Angeles, man, that's far away. (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) I know. I know it's far away. Like there's a lot of people and I'm like, I know I love people. And so it's just, it was this whole weird stigma. Like, like it was a bunch of people who have never traveled before in their life being told that traveling is really scary. And Mm -hmm. so they kind of pass it on to each other. Like, Hey, if you go do this, you know, a lot of things can go wrong and go bad. And it's like, yeah, that's true. But that's kind of part of the experience. Um, I tell my mom all the time when I go on my own type of trips, she'll get worried about like, well, what if this happens? Like, what if you get a flat tire? I'm like, I hope I get a flat tire. I'm gonna have a great story if I have a flat tire. If I, <laughs> if, if I just drive the full 500 miles and nothing goes wrong, then what was the point of it? Like, didn't experience anything i kind of like it when things go wrong um so i don't know in, in my bubble here people were very keen on just like staying here and they're very afraid of like what might happen which is ridiculous that's dude that's i love that's beautiful about like how you embrace things going wrong because they really do make for the best stories they do they really do yeah and um and this whole thing about people passing on this knowledge that you know they you you never experience it for yourself experience like perhaps mm-hmm. going to a big school or perhaps going to another country and then yeah. seeing if the that that thing that you think actually holds up instead yeah. some people just they stay they stay in the theory of it instead of testing it 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I know I'm jumping all over the place. I want to know your motivation for you could have gone to any study abroad while in while at UT Austin. Why did you why did you choose to go specifically to China, Beijing, China, for a mm-hmm. month where we taught English with Dr. Moore? Yeah, um, I think it was very similar to kind of what you said earlier. Um, before the pod, yeah, before we started the podcast, that's before I mean, I was really motivated by Dr. Moore, um, but you know, being in Gateway Scholars and then doing his class, um, there was a lot of talk of encouraging study abroad. Mm-hmm. And up until college, like I had never even thought of like. I don't like it just was nothing, something that never occurred to me because no one was doing it around me. No one was studying abroad. No one was like, Oh, I think I I did. I knew one guy growing up who his older brother studied abroad in England for a little bit. And he came back and he was like, look at this cool band I found. And like, (laughs) you know, we were like, okay, like it's kind of cool. I like, I had a friend whose brother studied abroad once. Like that was the biggest kind of thing I'd ever had with it. Well, then when I got to college and was, in Dr. Moore's class, you know, his TAs were talking about studying abroad. My TA was talking about going to Africa with them. And I was like, you know what? Like, let me look into this. Like, I want to, I, oh, you know what? I remember him saying too, that like, it just looks great on a resume. If you, if you go into an interview and you're like talking about the time that you hiked the great wall of China, you know, in the morning at sunrise, like, Mm no one else is going to have those stories, you know, when it comes to uh, comp- competing for a job. Um, but if you study abroad, you will have those stories. It's not enough just to have a degree anymore. And I, after he said that, I was like, I have to go, I have to study abroad. You know, like I have to put myself a step above the people I'm going to be competing against. Cause I had, I have stiff competition. Um, and well, then it was like, okay, so I could do China or, South Africa, because they were at the time they were, you know, going between the two, mm-hmm. between Cape Town and Beijing. Um, I knew I wanted to be with Dr. Moore. Uh, and when it came down between the two, between Africa and China, in my head, I was like, you know what? I have thought about Africa before. I always thought it'd be interesting to go there. I knew I wanted to go to Africa more. And I was like, you know what? I've never really thought of China. I don't know anything about China. I don't have any opinions on China, which means it's probably the best place for me to choose because I have no interest in it. And why? um, Because I thought by choosing a place that I had no prior knowledge of, I was, it was like, I was a smooth brained monkey baby who was just waiting to be you know, fed all this information and new understanding of this place. You know, I've heard of like the stereotypes of China, like, oh, it's overpopulated. And then like the really stupid things like, oh yeah, they eat dogs over there, which was like still so annoying. When I, like I'll tell people I went to China and they're like, oh, did you eat dog? It's like, no, I didn't eat freaking dog. Um, <laughs> that doesn't happen. Um, but like I wanted, I was like, you know, let me go see what is true and, and what isn't. And but also just like learn a bunch about this place that I just don't know anything about. Um, Cause we, there was so much talk about getting new perspective on like, you know, whether it be a group of people or, you know, an institution, you know, getting this new perspective allows you to understand them more. And I was like, well, I don't understand China. So let me go to this place. So I can, um, mm-hmm. because previously I didn't care. 
Hmm. Um, and I think that's ultimately what Dr. Moore really strived for. Like he wants us to, I, I think he really wanted us to learn how to learn, but once we learn how to learn, it's then how do we become more compassionate to people globally? Just like everyone, right? Like I, um, he does, he didn't like say that, but like, when you think about the tools he's giving us, it's kind of what it lines you up for is like, the more you understand people, the more you see where they're coming from, what their experiences are, the easier it is to feel compassionate towards them. And so, yeah, I just was like, this will be a great way of doing that. Um, not that I wasn't already compassionate to China, but it wasn't something I was thinking about frequently. I wasn't mm-hmm. like, man, I wonder, you know, how the middle schoolers in China are doing, right? Like, yeah. And then we got to go and teach children English, which teach English. I use that term loosely because I did not do a good job at teaching English. But, <laughs> yeah. um, I did get to hang out with these kids who were, you know, just like American middle schoolers. And it was just hilarious and they were fun. And oh, yeah, they, like, they were you, all fun. <laughs> they were, man, they were such a light and such a highlight of the trip. I loved hanging out with them. I have I have two questions. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you how uh, Doctor Moore, uh, how China that trip taught you how to learn, to learn. How did it? Yeah, because you said he was teaching us, giving us the tools to learn how to learn. Um, I'm gonna ask you about that. How it how it gave you the tools? What tools it gave you? But before that, I want to ask you: Was it scary to go to China to choose to go to China because it was a place that you like you said you you knew nothing about. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I'll say the thing that you could be, yeah, yeah, I I want honesty. Like maybe it wasn't scary. Yeah. And honestly, I I wasn't scared. Um, And I think that was because I was so, I think we were really similar in, in that time too. And that we were just like excited to jump into something new. Like I, I remember with you specifically, like between the two of us, we would come to each other with things that we were like really, like you would be like, I'm going to go eat a scorpion at this market today. I'm like, oh, go eat a freaking scorpion. Yes, dude. Cool. Like, I've never eaten a scorpion before. That'd be, that'd be cool. Um, and so I, I was excited just to get out and get exposed to things um, regardless of, you know, what they were. I just wanted to see new things. Um, and I knew that there was going to be stuff that made me uncomfortable, but mentally I pre- over-prepared myself for trying everything. I was like, you know, like, what's the harm and like, what's the harm in eating a scorpion and being like, Oh, that was gross. Right. Like, yeah. You know, I don't eat, it's not like I'm, I'm eating a scorpion every day of my life. I'm going to live what, like another couple thousand days or hundred thousand days. I don't know how lifespans. Yeah. Work. Yeah. In my lifetime, one of these thousands of days I'll eat one scorpion or try one scorpion. Not a big deal. Um, and so yeah, I, I don't think I didn't find myself being really intimidated. I took all the precautions they told us to take when it came to getting like vaccinations and 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 avoiding like certain traveling sicknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, I was well prepared. I like studied under kind of understood what I was going into um, without like kind of spoiling anything for myself. And so, yeah, I don't know. I was just so gung ho and excited. I didn't yeah, you were. Yeah, you were. You were like me. You're just ready for the adventure. For what? Yeah. the way I, what scares me is dying without 
having experienced something that I had the opportunity to experience. Mm-hmm. Like if I had the opportunity to eat scorpion, and I know it's a small thing, but it's come out. I, I die without knowing what that was like. I'd yeah. be like, damn. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, so it, it might very well be like, yeah, it was awful. <laughs> like I hated scorpion, but I, at least I know that now. Like, yeah, I know <laughs> what scorpion tastes like. And then you meet somebody and they're like, I love scorpion personally, which would be a very weird <laughs> thing right to run into but if you did you're like hmm i can maybe see the mayor in it or it just gives you insights like this person's psychotic there's no reason they should love <laughs> but here they are and they love it and that makes them a little cuckoo but i mean like you want to know that if you didn't eat it yeah yeah more understanding exactly and so china what experiences uh or how what tools were given to you to learn how to learn this is interesting because I, I love this topic that I'm fascinated by it. I think we were just subject to listening a lot, which is the most important when it comes to, I think, expanding your mind and your opinion and knowledge on anything. Um, it's just listening. And we had some just phenomenal speakers on that trip. Um, and like, Again, I think in, in Dr. Moore's class, um, Race in the Age of Obama, which was that was the name of it at the time. Um, I mean, that had so many instances of like conversations that like I wouldn't even dare to have in my hometown. Like I was too scared to have because it made people feel too uncomfortable. Um, but in that time, I remember I didn't like speaking up. Because I was like, I don't feel comfortable and confident in what my opinion yet and what I what I know. I'm going to slow down. I'm just going to listen to people. And so I listened a lot. Like that's kind of what my job was in the class was not necessarily sharing an opinion, but more so forming an opinion by listening to others. Um, Cause I don't know. I think people have this weird idea that they have to, uh, they have to have an opinion on something immediately when that's not true at all. Um, you can take the time. So in China, we had these just really awesome. Sorry, I'm going to have to charge in my laptop really quick. Are you good? Um, like we, like the TAs all would come in. I don't know if you remember this, but they would come in with like very specific talking points. Like I remember we talked about yes. like beauty standards in China. How does that differ oh, from yeah. like, like American beauty standards to like Chinese beauty standards, Korean beauty standards. So we were talking about like the whole, um, you know, plastic surgery, and like the different uh, like pigments of uh, skin color and mm-hmm. how it looked like that was advertised in 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 Southeast Asian countries. Um, there was like bleaching we, cream, right? Yeah, there was like the cream and like they had like the controversial commercials that we talked about. Um, but then we would go on these, you know, excursions to like a temple with uh, what was the, the, pr- the professor's name? The, the uh, name he was awesome. Jeremiah. Yes. And so he was just so phenomenally well-versed and just intelligent when we, and knowledgeable, like we would go somewhere and he would just know so much. about. So like, I don't know if I necessarily was well-equipped and was utilizing these tools as well as these people around me were just really great educators and really good at being like, here's something that's important. Look at this, like, look at this temple in this way, because this is the history behind it. This is what it means to this people. And so like, for example, I remember 
uh, we were walking, we were at the Hutong and we had just, or was it? Yeah, I think it was the Hutong. And we had just walked. That was that neighborhood. It was a little city. Yeah. The little, basically like the most, I think it was like the oldest kind of neighborhood in Beijing that was like really close to like the older dynasties that still kind of existed, uh, but it was being turned into like a touristy spot. And, and is that where we did the cooking class? Yeah. Yeah. The, on top okay. of the, yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Cool. Cool. And so we had just walked out kind of from the part where it went from like touristy neighborhood back and just to kind of like civilization again. And it was just like normal neighborhoods. And I remember I was recording everything at that time. Like my camera was on 24 seven and I started these men were building a wall um, in front of this shop. Were you, were you there with us when this happened? I don't know. Okay. So, there, so these people, there was this little shop. It was like a mom and pop. I uh-huh. don't know if it's a convenience store or a candle shop or what, but literally these men were building a wall, like, like a couple inches from the entryway. And I'm recording them. I'm like, this is really weird, but I guess they just like close it up. And from the entryway of a door from, from this mom and pop shop. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so as I'm recording these, one of the construction workers comes like barreling over to me and he's like yelling at me in Mandarin. I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying. (laughs) Well, then Jeremiah starts going at him in, in Mandarin. I'm like, what did I do? I don't know what I did. Like I was just standing here and the guy, like after they go at each other for a second, the guy kind of walks off and, uh, we were like, what, what was that about? Like, what did he say? And Jeremiah was pretty much like, he was, he didn't want you recording it. He wanted you to stop recording because what they're doing, basically the government will send in these men or people like construction workers to build walls in front of shops, like a mom and pop shop, like a locally owned shop like this. So that no, like no one can get into the store anymore. And it just closes out they run the business into the ground and then they buy that property from themselves to turn it into whatever they wanted. What? And so, yes, it's it like crazy, crazy. Right. And I don't, I don't know if you experienced this, but there was times we like, you would go to like, you'd go to a restaurant one night, like right next to the college, go to sleep, wake up the next day. And then the, that restaurant you ate at the day before was a completely different restaurant the next day. Um, oh, like I, I, I heard, I heard people saying like, oh, yeah. that restaurant isn't there anymore. Yeah. There's like, like, it's a handful down. Of times where like restaurants would just be completely flipped upside down, like within a night. And so the guy was just like really upset that I was recording that. And so, um, yeah, Jeremiah had to kind of like come into the rescue and say like, well, like you kind of should feel ashamed. Like what you're doing is wrong and you're kind of screwing over these like you know, these like local citizens for what, like tourism, like it's ridiculous. Um, and so even seeing him just like stand up in that moment, it, it, it gives you a glimpse of people who are already really good at being compassionate, understanding, being worldly, like, and knowing like, Oh, like I might not have even known that was wrong unless he was like, Hey, what you're doing is wrong. And then you kind of get to think about like, well, why is it wrong? You know, you have these, you know, people who are just like, like, you know, think about in your own hometown, any local shop, the idea of like the government coming in and building a wall in front of like your parents locally owned, you know, I don't know, 
Greek restaurant with rice mm-hmm. pilaf is getting shut down because a wall just randomly showed up there. Um, it's not something you see in America and it's not something I would have seen if I never left my bedroom. Um, and so that was something. Wow. Like, I know that's not really a tool, but no, but I, I completely understand because it gives you this appreciation for what you have at home and for the yeah. tools that you have, you know, and, and mm-hmm. the, and like it bursts your bubble again. Uh, it, yeah. and, and, you know, one of the things about China is that, uh, we were only there for a month, so I don't know what it would feel like if we lived there longer, right. but I, it, it almost felt like, I mean, it felt like you were free, like you were free to do what you want, yeah. but at the same time, you kind of understood that it was like somebody was leading the free, the freedom as in like, there's a stream and it's being led by, a, by like a, a hand because you're on WeChat yeah. and then you hear how like Things WeChat is their social media and you can't yeah. say certain things because it'll be taken down. Yeah. And then there's these things where like, you know, people build walls in front of a, a restaurant if they want it shut yeah. down. So like it's, it, it has the illusion of like, you could do what you want, but it's like, yeah. uh, as long as the government agrees. They really had, they really leaned into the illusion of like Western civilization. Um, yeah. You, Cause it like, I don't know if you got this, but like they really valued like the West, like they really valued America. People were excited to meet us when, as soon as, oh, yeah. and like people could tell you were American before even telling them, like they just were like American. And it's like, <laughs> you felt like a little celebrity, but like for the guiltiest reason, it's like, I'm literally just from a place and you think it's awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, I totally agree. I think those were not things that you would ever like think about. And that's why it's like, you really don't know what you don't know. Um, Cause like, as a kid, you would never like, why would I be thinking about that? Like, Oh, you know, in China, they're like probably shutting down, you know, uh, like a, a, a restaurant yeah. in the most like aggressive way possible, the most passive aggressive way possible. Why would I think about that? Like, that's mm-hmm. not something I would know. And that's not something I'd understand unless I went myself and you know, that's what happens. Uh, but also, you know, I remember too, another thing being really weird about like, you know, I don't, we had like a lot of conversations about it, but like racism in China yeah. was also like really different from like American racism. Um, and even in, in that, right. I was just like, which was interesting. Cause that allowed me to because like, as I was kind of dissecting what racism looked like in China, it helped me understand racism in America better. And I was like, okay, so Mm-hmm. this is what we do that is a little bit more aggressive. This is what they do, which was a little bit more ignorant, which I don't know if you remember, but like we, cause there was a lot, we experienced a lot of different types of racism on the trip. Mm-hmm. Um, not, and it was never like malicious, right? Like it was, it was born out of just lack of understanding and ignorance Yeah, uh, with yeah. people, especially like, you know, we had a very diverse program and I mean, people would come up and ask students for pictures. Yeah. Cause know. we had a lot of black UT students and uh, yeah. you know, a lot of, a lot of Chinese people have never seen um, yeah. and people of color. Yeah. And, and so, uh, like with yeah. hair, you know, they want to touch their hair and everything. And it's just, you know, and even like, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, mm-hmm. they were like, we've never seen a blonde person before. Like, Oh my gosh. Like you have white hair. And it's like, 
it's it, it wasn't like necessarily them just like trying to single people out. It was them singling people out because they're just like, I've just never seen someone who's looked like you before. And mm. that's fascinating to them. And it's like, yeah, in, in most social, you know, interactions, especially in America, it's like, you wouldn't do this thing, right? Like no one in America is going to do that. Yeah. Um, but like the racism, unfortunately, that we face in America is a lot more pointed, malicious, and people like will willingly know that they're being racist and kind of lean into that, which isn't to say like that doesn't happen in China, but mm-hmm. the day-to-day racism that we saw in China was very different from like day-to-day racism, racism you would see in America. So. Yeah. And, um, you know, Dr. Moore being a, a, a black history professor originally, um, you, you know, throughout, he kind of takes you around the world um, teaching you about like the, how racism lives in different parts of the world. Cause I went to South Africa with him and that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, apart, apartheid only ended in uh, the nineties. Like I think it was like 96. So it's like, uh, there's still a lot of like ripples from that. Cause it's so like newly kind of equal quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, but yeah, man, it's, uh, it really, it gives you a great understanding of races around the world, but like you were saying, the people at the end of the day are just kind of, most people are kind and most people just want to uh, understand you and they are interested in you and they want to be happy. And they, they have like similar um, needs and wants of just yeah. being accepted and being a part of a community and things like that. Yeah. Well, and I think it's something to think about too, when you're traveling, it's not just, we've talked a lot about this bubble, like, you know, you are leaving your bubble from where you've come from, where you're you're used to when to somebody else, you're coming into their bubble. Like we're going into like China's bubble. You know, we're going from an environment we're very used to very comfortable in into like this completely foreign new environment um, surrounded by people who are really accustomed to that environment and are very used to it and view that bubble very differently than you are going to perceive it. Uh, And so with that being said, you kind of get into it and yeah, like it, people, what we saw were these people being like, whoa, like there's a bunch of Americans here and we're not used to that. Like, that's not what our bubble is. Our bubble isn't like, like at least like from like a day to day perspective, Mm -hmm. if you're like in a touristy spot, you know, obviously that's what they kind of anticipate. But you know, when you're like in a, like we're in a random village and we come across a house with like, a mom and two little kids. It's like, no, we've just infiltrated their bubble. Their minds are blown. They don't, they've never seen an American before. And they're like, Whoa, like, are you like everything I've been told or everything that I have personally imagined? Um, And so I don't know. It's, it's interesting to think about what it, we think so much about what it's like for us to leave our own bubble, but not, enough about what it's like infiltrating somebody else's home and being like, Hey, I'm just like here to visit and kind of see how you do things. And I'm going to go back to doing the things the way that I do things. Right. Yeah. I've never, um, never thought about that. I like that. I think I want to write this down because I want to ask my future guests questions about infiltrating other people's bubbles. That's dude. That's awesome. Infiltrating people's bubbles. So with like Africa, cause like I, I, I'm curious more about your experience in South Africa because 
I really wanted to go to, did y'all go to Cape town again? We went to, so I went uh, the year before to 2016. Oh, you went the year before. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I went to Cape town and uh, how was that? It was incredible, man. It was just, you know, one of my favorite things when I travel is food because it always, Mm. I just, it amazes me how food flavors have no ending. Like, yeah. How they can come together in different ways that you never imagined and you were yeah. like, it's delicious. It's like, that works. What was that? Yeah. And one of the first nights that we're in Cape Town, we eat at this restaurant called Langa. And it's at a home in a township. And township is where they they have all these uh, shanty homes that are made out of like sheet metal. Um, and they're very poor. But there's uh, we had a restaurant in the middle of one of those um, uh townships and it was like a house a two-floor house and they turned the entire house the tall two floors into a restaurant for us and there's 60 students in that house and we're all dining and it's it's like family style it's it's incredible they just keep bringing plates out and you don't know what i mean you things look familiar like you know that's that's chicken or that's meat or that you know but the flavors are completely different and um and then towards the middle while you're enjoying this amazing meal they bring out like traditional music from South Africa and they had put on this entire show and that's just like night one. And you're like, Oh my God, I'm in a whole new world. And after that, you know, you get to see, like, we're talking about racism. You get to see how uh, racism is so different over there because, you know, Mm -hmm. there's uh, like black people and then people who are mixed, they have like a specific like name for them. Um, I forgot what they would call them. And then white people. So there's like three races. And, God, uh, I need that because I I go everywhere I go. People are like, "Hey, so like, it's so funny when they lead in lead into the question too, because they'll kind of get, hey Jacob, you know, they're kind of <laughs> thinking about how to say this, and they're just like, hey man, like you know, just like, what uh, what are you, <laughs> what are you, <laughs> like okay, <laughs> let's let's think about this for a second. So I feel like it'd be nice if I just had like yeah he's just a mixed guy like he's he's all the things you know yeah yeah i um i I found uh even though i look i think people have told me here that i look super mexican but um over there like uh in south africa and china people can't tell or thailand they're like are you um i think i turkish are you turkish (laughs) yeah far from it thrown off by it's like i think what it is is when you're like from because me i'm I'm Mexican on my dad's side and then uh, Polish on my mom's side. And I think mm. it's just like the mixing of like, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's just like, as like a Hispanic, you just look so Hispanic. Like it's just so, so obvious when you're Hispanic and then you yeah. sprinkle something just little in there. And it's like, <laughs> what the hell is he now? Like, I can't tell. <laughs> like, I don't know. And so I would, I remember just being in China and being in like a market and, I would, you know, they, they like to interact with you a lot, the people yeah. working there and they want to speak your language. And so I remember like people would like throw like Spanish at me kind of like look at me to like reciprocate it. Like, okay, maybe not Spanish. Uh, <laughs> they kind of, yeah. And like, you know, it was just like, they're, they're figuring it out. They're trying to, so that's interesting that you say that. Um, when we were in one of the markets in uh, China, I heard um, these women speaking Spanish and I don't know why I did at this point, I wasn't really approaching strangers or if I was, 
I, I guess I was, but like, I wouldn't approach like just random tourists at a market. But when I heard them speak Spanish, I was like, oh my God, I, I don't know why I felt like I can totally talk to these people and we're going to get along. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. hola, como están? And yeah, we had a great conversation because when you're in a place that is so foreign, so different, it, um, it really, you it, like a, a little thing like that is it makes for instant connection. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, dude, I was going to ask you, I know it's 11. Do you have to go or do you have to go now? I'm, I'm fine right now. I don't okay. have work to do. So I've, I've, I've got some time on my hands. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cause I'll, I want to, I still have some questions. Um, but I, I just want to be conscious of your time. And my, my other question was, cause you're, you're such a great storyteller. And, um, and I feel like every time you go through, when you go, when you were in China, I feel like you were just experiencing and capturing these stories that you could tell later. Cause, cause like, that's what you love. Are there, what are the most like the moments that made you feel like you were in a movie where you were completely present because you, you couldn't, you were trying to capture it as much as you could. Cause you were in awe of what was in front of you. Does, does anything come to mind when I ask you that? Oh man. I mean, I feel <laughs> this sounds so cheesy, but like the entire trip, truly was kind of like a movie i mean mm -hmm. and to, to some degree but uh yeah there was so many moments like that and not honest not even particularly because of myself i mean just because of people we just had so many people in our cohort that were just really great mm. about going out and getting involved in just really weird situations. And then sometimes maybe I would be brought along for the adventure and like, wow, this is like super really cool to be, to be here, like a part of this. And so, you know, like, you know, I had my camera and so, you know, I was trying to take pictures of just all sorts of moments. You know, I had some really great photos of, um, oh, I can't think of the professor's name right now, but he brought his baby on the trip. Um, oh, Dr. Remember, Kelly? Was it yes. Kelly? Yeah. Was it Kelly or Sudden? I think it was Dr. It was Sutton. 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 Yeah. Dr. Sutton. Yeah. He had his little girl with him mm -hmm. and absolutely adorable. Like everywhere she went was kind of memorable um, because there was, and it goes along with, so, I mean, like being a little, like she was a little black baby, right? And mm -hmm. being what we talked about earlier about just, you know, with, going to this country and kind of infiltrating their bubble, you know, these citizens weren't used to seeing, you know, a Hispanic, you know, college student or a little black baby or a blonde hair, blue eyes professor, you know, whatever it might've yeah. been. That was something all like always some sort of interaction that was like interesting to kind of like watch and observe. And so we'd go to the middle school and people would be interacting with doc, Dr. Sun's daughter it was like their first time seeing a little black child and it was, you know, with these little, you know, Chinese middle school kids interacting for, with each other for the first time and being just fascinated, not in a way that was like malicious or anything, but just like very like naive and young understanding. Mm -hmm. It's like at a base level, if we did not have any prejudice prejudices or um, like stereotypes or biases against people and we just met for the first time without like seeing a specific race for the first time. What does that look like? And so we got a lot of moments like that where it's mm -hmm. like someone's like, oh, my gosh, like you're totally foreign to me. Like, I just want to 
at like bare minimum study you not in a way that was wrong just like curiosity just like at its base core level um but then you got these experiences that were god just would feel prolific like you would be on top of a mountain and looking at just like I, there, I don't like there was a you're looking down at like in a village and like there's these clouds like just as far as the eye could see it's just like mountain ranges and beautiful things being on top of the great wall you know hmm. stories in which you would go up there and um i would find a lot of moments when i felt like it was like a moment like a movie type moment i would be journaling or i'd be taking like a polaroid or something and so i have like a lot of these memories kind of logged um but also like you know we had other just like really you, you kind of had like these once in a lifetime experiences um you know like, like being on top of a mountain just being by yourself yeah being like okay where am i in my life right now and you're allowing yourself to be really personal with yourself there's also these moments that were very kind of great for stories that were just real genuine moments that could like happen in the u.s for example so like going to mix for the first time was something that I feel like I was like, this is something that could happen in the U S but also not. And because it's happening in China, it makes it that much cooler. Yeah. You know, just for um, people listening, mix was the, um, the club that yeah. we went to where our, this promoter guy that we met ghost got us in, but yeah. it was just this. Yeah. It's one of those things that can happen anywhere. Like you're saying it's, it's not like you, but it's, it's one of those things where, the whole experience of us getting in for free and being catered to the way we were catered to. Yeah. Um, it's like, uh, it was free and you can't really, what price do you put on it? Cause it was yeah. like, we were together, the, the people you're with and stuff, but uh-huh, yeah. continue. So that moment was. Yeah. I just, you know, and with that, I remember even thinking before getting into it, I was like, I was scared. Cause I was like, you know, I, I, I'm under 21 in America. I haven't really drank that much yet. And like, you know, I don't want to go all out. Like, I don't want to do that. But then I thought to myself, I was like, you know what, if I am going to go all out, like at at any point in my life, like, why wouldn't I do that in China? It's like, I could do in the U S but then I'm like everybody else. It's like the first time I like really partied and like got to be with people in like kind of a very social environment in that way was in China and it was great. And, you know, and it was like with this, I mean, I'll just like give my first experience with mix and ghost because I wanted, I want to know what it was through your eyes. It was (laughs) such an interesting, (laughs) yeah, it was such a weird experience. Cause again, like for me, this was not something that I went around and doing, but I remember you coming to, you know, me, Jade, Abby, Ling Yu, and I think you told a lot of people in the in the program. But I told everyone, but everyone, everyone was out because you know, like we, you're like I met this guy, his his name, oh, you know, and his name is Ghost, and we were all like, <laughs> not a great start, you know, like that kind of guy's name is Ghost, but it also was a great start. It's like this, there's this guy named Ghost, and he will get us into this club for free if we go. We just got to tell him like our names. We were like all fairly new to the trip or fairly new to being here. This was like in the first week, I think. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. And we were just like, that sounds super sketchy. But I remember in my head, that's when I was like, you know, like in China, like what, what's going to happen? You know, I get kidnapped. 
that's a pretty cool story. Like, <laughs> You're like me, bro. You're exactly like me. That's what I think. So I was like, yeah, I'll be a part of this first group. You know, I'll go. And so it was like me again. It was like me, Jade, Abby, Ling Yu, Kavya, and then maybe a few others. But so we, Val. so we, we Val. And so we gave you everybody's names. We're like, here's who's going. It was like a handful of people. We'll go and try it out. Um, and you're like, okay, like Ghost said, he'll meet you guys there. None of us had met this guy before. And so it's already intimidating navigating a, a city you've never been in. But when you're being told like, hey, you're going to get in this club for free. You just have to meet with this dude you've never met. It's like, okay, the stakes are like a little bit up there. Cause it's like, I don't, we could miss the guy. Um, we could be not getting in here for free. We could just go to the wrong place. Right. Yeah. So we end up at Mix we're standing in this huge parking lot. There's like mixes like this huge building on one side of the parking lot. There's a whole other club on the other side of the parking lot. We're like, where the heck are we? And I, bro, I like, this was a like straight out of a movie. No exaggeration. I don't remember what kind of car it was. I don't know if it was like a Tesla, like a Maserati, this like expensive ass car just like rolls up out of nowhere. And then this like clean, like six foot two, like handsome looking Italian dude gets out of the car and he's just like, are you guys with Caesar? And you're like, uh, yes. And he's like, follow me. And we're like, what? So there's like this huge line in front of like the club for people to get in. And like, he just walks past everybody and like, they open up, they had those like little plastic folds on the door to keep all the dirt out and stuff. Like we would see everywhere. The guards like move them out of the way for us. I was like, what is going on right now? This is we Like it felt, you know, you always hear like, if it's too good to be true, it's because it is. Yeah. This was the one time in my life, the single moment where there was something that was too good to be true. That was true. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? You get in there. There's like these metal detectors. It's like, this really crazy lighting. I remember there was like these glass cases with like golden pairs of Jordans. And I was like, this is Air Force Ones. And I was like, what, where are we? So we get in there, they like mark our hands. We turn the corner and there's like this giant golden T-Rex statue. I'm just like, I don't know what's going on. This is weird. They lead us over to this big booth with like, just like, bottle service which was just like all these like bottles of liquor and then like mixers like we had coke like soda and all these things just to do whatever we wanted this huge dance floor there was a stage um i was like this is wild and he leads us over there and and, uh he's like and of course the guy who's like kind of leading us everywhere is ghost he's like all right if like y'all need anything like let me know like i'll come like circle around check on you guys and make sure y'all are okay we're like, okay, do we just like hang out now? Like, is that it? We looked we at each started? other. We looked at each other like, what? Because exactly. there was there was fruit on our table and like orange juice and cokes and then alcohol and I we were and they're like, yep, this is all you. And 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 Ghost was like negotiating for us with the with the with mm-hmm. the servers. He was like, I, yeah. I need you to bring them this. And yeah, uh, it was crazy. And Ghost also was like. I remember thinking in my head, like, this is a guy that I would think is sketchy, but he was like a, such a kind dude. Oh, he's so kind. Super. I remember like at one point, I don't even remember how it happened, but I cut my hand on like a glass, like a piece of like a bottle there. And it was like within seconds, like ghosts had appeared out of nowhere. And he was like, Hey man, are you okay? Like, 
you want me to like, let, let me help you go wash this off. And he like led me to the kitchen or not the kitchen, but the bathroom was like helping me take care of myself. Got me like wrapped up and everything. He's like, yeah, I just wanted to make sure you were okay. And I was like, Dude, what are you doing here? Like, I don't really know you. And you're so like, you're like my like mom taking care of me, like, a you know, you know, at Disneyland or something. And he was, he was a kind guy, but the bet, I don't know if you, if you ever figured out like the exact reasoning why he did that for us or why the, the, the club did that for us. In my mind, I always thought the reason they did that was because the locals liked to hang out with, tourists and Americans. Yeah. And so like we were bringing in the locals kind of as like a tourist attraction Yeah, and their payment to us for doing that. And like kind of furthering business was like, Hey, you kind of just get to party for free, like be here for free. And then we make more money. That's that, what I thought of it in my head. That was exactly the reason why. Cause you know, we walk in and I'm having the exact same experience that you're having. And I'm like, yeah. all right, this is, this is happening. This is happening, but we get in and I felt like a sort of like responsibility because like I brought us into this situation. And so I go up to ghost and I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking, hold up. Like he brought us here. And then at the end, they're going to, they're just going to give us a huge bill. That's going to be impossible. To pay. Yeah. Right. And so I go talk to ghost and I'm like, bro, is this real? <laughs> Excited <laughs> and scared at the same time. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, man, go have fun. Go have fun. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> tell me if this is real. <laughs> bullshit is it are we gonna wake up tomorrow with like all of us are missing a single kidney like what is what is gonna happen man yeah (laughs) and i mean i don't know i just have to take him on his word he looked at me and he was like my friend is this too good to be true and i was like yes that's why i'm coming to you (laughs) and he says that no let me let me explain it to you so you guys come in you party and then more locals want to party and then they they they'll buy more alcohol and everybody makes money so go have fun and then i was like okay and uh yeah that was the reason why uh dude uh, that was a wild experience uh yeah i love the way you tell the seeing it through your eyes though yeah (laughs) i mean and that's like but really so many moments were like that like there was so many just movie-esque type moments and like and each, you know, each of those moments kind of told a different story, right? Like mm-hmm. the moment with the wall, like that was a movie moment for me. That mm-hmm. wasn't, but it was a much more somber, much more type of re- like realization moment on the trip where I was like, oh, wow, there's like some serious things going on here where like Chinese citizens are really struggling and the government's being hard on them. Or, you know, when we went to the school, and I don't know if you got to do this, but I was lucky enough to be one of the people that got to go with the, the kids home to meet their parents mm-hmm. um, and see their home. You know, the house I went to was probably like the same size as my room. Like the, the entire, it was a four person family living in what was my bedroom. Uh, yeah. And just yeah, talking man. to the parents about that. And that felt like a movie moment, right? Hiking up like the great wall at 3am in the darkness was a movie moment and like seeing it rise like the sunrise on top of the mountain with everybody and that was a cool moment too because and I like I think at, at that time most of the relationships on the trip were kind of set you know and we had some like really a lot of people kind of got together on our trip which was fun yeah. to see as well yeah. um because it's just like a lot of people you care about loving each other right and i remember being up there and seeing like couples kind of like who were like talking throughout the trip finally like being like 
let's use this moment to make it a moment. Right. And they, it, there's something special about being around people appreciating the same thing you're appreciating. And so mm. being on top of the great wall is one of those moments, right? You get to experience that with everybody. And that was something we were all excited about. And I was just constantly in awe of everywhere you looked. It's like, you could tell what kind of moment people were having and how much that moment meant to them. Uh, yeah. And so like you would see like a couple with like their arm around each other, or you would see like a group of five or six people trying to get like the perfect picture of like the, I remember like there people were taking the picture of like the sun and the moon. Cause you could see both of them and you would do like the little panoramic across uh, yeah. get them in the same picture and them just getting excited about that. And then I remember talking like philosophy with Ling Yu, like kind of like <laughs> off to the side. And um, I actually, <laughs> when everybody had left, I had ran. I don't remember when I came up with this idea, but I was like, I want to start taking pictures of me mooning at like really crazy world locations. And so everybody walked back down and I had Jade take a, a <laughs> picture of me with my bare ass out on the great wall of China. <laughs> and so you like, you have these moments. It's just like romantic, but also like incredibly funny and also incredibly life-giving. And then you see these relationships between friends and it's just, I don't know. It's something that's special in China and on the great wall, but mm -hmm. also not something that you can't experience like here at home and yeah. in the U S or uh, you can experience it anywhere but i think in that time i was just so much more focused on recognizing those moments and so i just got to see all of that um in china and i was really grateful for that especially when i got when, when that moment was happening i remember thinking it was really special so yeah it's i think you know when you're in a place that is like so new so something that you i guess you feel like you're in awe of the, your emotions, you know, that's the same emotions that you can experience every day, mm -hmm. but for some reason they're heightened. It's almost as if you're like on a psychedelic, you're really experiencing yeah. it fully. Yeah. And, um, you know, the question that, that comes to mind is, is like, uh, when you come back, because you know, these emotions are available to you and, and, you know, a good question to, that I started asking myself was how can I experience those same emotions while at home while here in austin and in el paso because it's available that adventure is available absolutely and um yeah that's one of the greatest things that like travel taught me bring that mm -hmm. curiosity home exactly it's and it's it's really hard because you have to act it when you're on a trip when you're in china when you're anywhere right like you're traveling outside of your bubble or whatever you know that kind of same thing mm -hmm. we've been talking about you're on guard. You're ex like, you're expecting these things to happen. You're expecting like, you go on a vacation. You're expecting to have like vacation moments, movie type moments. Cause you're almost a lot of times you're trying to build those moments, right? Like you're trying yeah. to you're kind of trying to force those moments without forcing them. So mm. you just put yourself in the correct situations. It's like, if I put myself in Tiananmen square, like I'm bound to have like a movie type moment. Mm. Right. But Every day you wake up, you go to class, you go to college, you go into uh, like a class where you dissect like the reading that you had last night. And then you go to your, your, you know, public speaking course and you, you, you do the routine that you're used to every day. But how often are you going into it prepared thinking like, 
am I going to see one of those moments today? Am I going to see a movie type mm. moment? And if you want to, you have to remind yourself or really work hard to see them. Um, and I, I think as someone who is a storyteller and values that so much, I've been very blessed in that it comes a little bit easier. Um, but I think that's something that people should really work hard on is how can I have these same type of moments from the comfort of my own home? It's possible. Totally. It's a way of life that you have to choose. And you're right. You have to keep reminding yourself because it's yeah. so easy to just slip in to, um, you know, what, where you old habits. And the thing is that we don't get to choose where we're born. We don't get to choose where we grow up and we don't get to, sometimes a lot of the times we don't get to choose. We're figuring out who we are, uh, but yeah. when we go abroad, uh, it's like a restart button. Cause every, nobody knows you, yeah. we didn't know you and you get to be whoever you want on that trip. I got to be the person who like found the party and, yeah. and I've always wanted to be that person. And I'm wondering, was there something you discovered about yourself because you, nobody knew who you really were and that you had allowed to come out? Yeah. Oddly enough, this is God, like for me personally, it was a huge growth moment. And this is like more personal. Um, I, I came to terms with just, you know, in, in my past, in my life, I had gone through like a lot of my own like trials and tribulations and things that I had to work on, but it wasn't really until I went to China that I realized like for myself, like I have a lot of things that I need to work on. Um, mm. Insecurities, uh, relationships at home that like, need to be addressed. I had just learned oddly enough, just so much about how I was feeling. I just became so much more observant to that. Like, Hey, like I'm angry about this thing, right? Like I'm angry about this thing in my life and I need to learn how to show forgiveness. If I, to like certain people or situations, if I want to a grow as a person and be let go of that anger. Um, cause I don't want that anger. Uh, it was, it was things like that. Like I just learned literal things about myself, not necessarily by, you know, like there wasn't like a specific situations where like, you know, there was no old man on a bench that like looked at me and was like, Hey man, like you look really sad. Like you ever thought yeah. about doing this? It was just me being put in situations that made me uncomfortable, me living life and making choices. And then me making observations about those experiences and choices that I was making. Mm. And none of that would have happened if I didn't kind of step out of my comfort zone and put myself in a place where I'd experience that stuff. Um, so I, yeah, I think it was incredibly important for me just to go and see how I would interact with people, how I would listen to people both from America that I had come here with and then people that I'm meeting here in China for the first time that could tell me like, Hey, you know, this is how this thing works or, Maybe you didn't realize it, but this is how we do this thing. And I was like, oh, okay. And with that information, I would make decisions. And from those decisions, I could look at them and be like, okay, why did I choose to do it this way? And that's when you start learning stuff about yourself. That's very vague, but. No, yeah, but it's, it's, it's kind of like, a, <clears throat> like it's, it allows for, I mean, it's difficult to describe, you know, because yeah. it's all happening in, in internally, but. I understand uh, this awareness that comes of like things that you uh, that you now see are a big deal to you, yeah, or that you want to fix. It's amplified, exactly. And yeah, I think it was just 
I don't want to say like, you know, it was like a pinnacle. Like, but like, I don't know. I think your experiences in life are all just like these kind of stepping stones building who you are. And so I don't want to sit here and say like me traveling to China was like the defining moment of my life. But I will say every step that I took, I couldn't have got here without the step that I took in China first. Right. Like I want to be where I am today without that step and without a lot of those other steps that I took. Um, and so it was instrumental and in, for me and, you know, looking at myself in new ways, looking at the world around me, looking at my, you know, cause I mean, the trip changed my local perspective too. you know, how I viewed America and Americans and our relationships with each other and with the world around us and other countries. I mean, it's just, it, there's literally so much to it. It's like you said, it really is hard to describe because there's yeah. just so many facets and things to consider. And so where do you, you're going to keep, you think you're going to keep traveling for the abroad for a long time or for the near future? I would certainly love to. Um, of course, the biggest thing are, will always be finances, probably for most people. Like, yeah. can I financially make this happen? Um, I would say to anyone, it's worth it. You know, mm-hmm. find the means to make it work. And like, you can make things work without like a ton of money. The trip I made to New York, uh, I drove from Texas City all the way to Manhattan. Um, we, you know, found like, I didn't have to pay for any sort of like living, like hotels, Airbnbs, like we had places to stay everywhere we went. Um, we were being fed meals, really like the biggest expense was gas and like, you know, anything we wanted to do in the places that we were at. Um, so I think it's doable. You can, you can definitely get out and travel without like a ton of resources, but if I had limitless resources, yeah, I'd be traveling everywhere I could. Um, Were those uh, experiences within the United States equally as valuable? Like learning about yourself and about the other people? I, I don't want to say they weren't equally as valuable. They're valuable in different ways. Um, I think because it was like local, it does make it a little bit different. Cause like to some degree you do have some sort of understanding of where you're going. However, the culture is different from state to state and just how people talk to each other. You know, we would pull over at gas stations and get back in the car and be like, Hey, like just like within three interactions, like that was interesting to see in, you know, Pennsylvania or, you know, wherever it might've been. And that isn't to say like you should go to any state and make judgments based off of a gas station stop. Um, but just like the look of it, like you, you start getting more North and it's like, Oh wow. This is like a lot, like the farmland here is a lot more colonial than like down South in Texas, where it does feel very country cowboy type of country. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I think, again, I think really, if you want to experience a place, you kind of have to be there for a week. It, it, it's a pet peeve of mine when people like go, like we'll go somewhere for a day and be like, yeah, I didn't really like Chicago. I was there for <laughs> eight hours and we were just kind of in the hotel. There's not that much to do. We were in the hotel the whole time until we had our flight in the morning. It's like, yeah, you were in a hotel the whole time. You weren't in Chicago. You were yeah. in a hotel. Yeah. Um, you got to really kind of try to be a local, find a way yeah. to, how yeah. do, can you, 
recreate the experience of being a local. Exactly. And so like with Arkansas, I was in Arkansas for uh, two months and I could say like, I generally genuinely got to be in Arkansas and experience it Mm -hmm. and see how it was different from like Texas and how people interacted differently from Texas and, uh, and God, it was beautiful there too. Like Mount Ida, uh, the Ozarks, gorgeous. The Ozarks. Super just, right? I saw those. I think that's where I don't know. I I said the Ozarks because I watched the the show, the Ozarks. (laughs) It's actually, it's funny you say that because I remember being there and it was actually, it was after the trip from China. And I remember there being a moment I was on a mountain watching like the sun rise or set. I don't remember which, but I could see just like the ray of light coming across the land. And wow. Just, it was, and pro- still to this day, I haven't had a moment that I've thought like this tops this, like just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It's just like it's gorgeous. And that was in the US, it was in Arkansas. Yeah, man. Travel, I mean, it's places, there's beauty everywhere. And you don't yeah. know, it's like, uh, like we were talking about how that's um, uh, something you can experience like anywhere, but you don't know when it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You don't know where it's going to happen. Yeah. And you, and you really like, you just got to be ready. Cause you can't, you can easily let those moments pass. I don't feel like I've ever been one of those people. I, I feel like I'd like to believe that I'm someone when those moments starts happening, I'm kind of like, it's happening. I'm here. I'm in one of those moments. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. And I like to make mental logs of like, that's why like for, for that one, exactly. I'm in my head. I'm like, this was the most beautiful image that I can remember in my life was like being on top of that mountain and seeing that, like, I internalized that. Um, like and there was a time in China where we had a meal in that village the night before hiking up for the sunrise. I remember thinking, this is the best meal I've ever eaten in my life. <laughs> like the food was just so good. And I think it was also the experience. It Maybe it was the most memorable meal of my entire life. Cause he, everything going on was really cool too. The meal uh, right after the hike, right? No, it was right before. So we drove up. Remember, we drove up on those really ramshackle cars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On those like roads that were like, God, five feet wide, but they're two lane roads. And our drivers were crazy. They were, I felt <laughs> that was another movie moment. They're going wild. <laughs> exactly. You're like, about to, the car itself is about to fall apart. And we ride up the thing. And um, it was, it was that one. And I think, so me and Lingyu, we got there. Everyone was kind of getting settled in and getting their rooms. Yeah. For some reason, me and Lingyu went to the top of a lot of mountains. <laughs> There's a lot of mountains on this trip. We went to the top of the mountain of this village to take pictures of the sunset. We get up there and there's these two French girls up there that are also staying on this village that are not a part of our program. So it was wow. like, we were there and then these two girls vacationing were there. And so me and Lingyu are talking to these girls about photography. Um, we go down, you guys have already eaten dinner. And so they're like... Hey, so like dinner already happened. Y'all are gonna have to eat at this table um, with these girls and basically just have dinner by yourselves. And so I'm like, so for me, you know, I just got to talk to these two girls. And I'm like, you know, these girls are cute. Yeah. And they're, they're like, it's like what you would think of is like, oh, like I would love to meet a French girl out on my trip. And we're like, having dinner like on the side of the great wall in this village right after sunset and we're talking about photography 
And it's That's just awesome. Like, in my head, it's just so surreal. But it was a movie moment. It's one of those moments that you just like internalize. You're like, yeah, I'll never forget this. And when people, it doesn't come up often, but if someone ever asked like, what was like a meal that was most memorable for you? It would, it's that meal. Wow. Um, so. Damn. I, yeah. It's amazing. I, I think that, I mean, and you can truly find those things happening anyway. Like you don't have to go abroad for that, but I will say like, you're setting yourself up for a lot of great moments. If you go abroad anywhere. Hmm. How so. do you bring that home? How do you bring that home? Um, I mean, you bring those experiences home, but like, how do you, I, how do you recreate that? I mean, I know the way I think about it, like I said, is curiosity, but what do you think? Uh, I mean, if you, you know, I don't think it's ever worth recreating an experience. Yeah. But it's worth just always leaving, living a life that's going to leave you open to a lot of experiences, um, which I think goes into if you're a curious person, that's going to lead you into some interesting situations like that's going to lead you to go do things that other people are not trying. If you're adventurous, if you're curious, if you're even a little bit brave, you know, you're going to do things that a you've never done and b people in your life have never done mm. and you're going to experience these moments like these that you'll get to take with you for the rest of your life but you like if you decide like you know what and there's a lot of people out there like this i don't need those moments i'm very happy with like a kind of a more mundane day-to-day -day casual life and i think that's okay i think it's okay for people to want those moments but if you if you do want like genuinely unique experiences like that you do kind of have to seek them out mm. you gotta seek you out be, be ready for them. Yeah. yeah um last question for you dude if um if you could give a message to every uh study abroad student let's say it's their first time going abroad or even if they're not studying abroad they're just going to go live for an extended period of time in a country um they're about to get on their plane what do you tell them before they get on their plane? Oh God. There's so many things you could tell them. I would pro at this moment in my life, uh, like this specific time, what I would probably say is whatever expectations you have, uh, whatever plans you have for this trip, you know, you might go into it thinking like, I'm going to go to this place and do this thing and have this moment leave all that at the door, leave all your expectations at the door, leave the biases, the things you've been told, go into it with just this completely open mind as much as you possibly can. And just let things happen to you. Um, and from there, you're going to start making, you're going to start forming your own opinions. You're going to start becoming your own person with your own experiences. Um, despite what other people are telling you and despite what you're telling yourself. <laughs> So just like, yeah, leave, just leave, leave it all out. Be like, you know what? These are at least recognize it and say like, these are all the things I was expecting from this trip. I'm about to just kind of just give all that up and just let whatever happened, happen. Um, don't be afraid to just experience stuff. It's, I promise it's not as scary as it seems. You're not going to, you know, get shanked and left on the street and have your lunch money stolen. I, I promise. Be, just be safer than that. Uh, 
and allow things to happen to yourself. And you're going to have some pretty incredible experiences and some stories to bring home. Prepare, have some common sense. Yes. And, uh, and yeah, be curious. Thank you so much, dude, for uh, giving me your time and telling me your stories. You're a great storyteller, bro. I, whatever you end up doing in film, I look forward to seeing it because it's awesome hearing you speak about the story. Thank you, man. I, I hope, I hope, you know, I get to tell stories for the rest of my life, but I mean, Caesar, I just appreciate you having me on and, uh, I appreciate our friendship. I mean, ever since meeting you on that trip, man, you have just been such a, a, a light in my life, especially when it comes to travel. I mean, it's so refreshing to meet somebody who is so, uh, over the moon for getting out there and experiencing new things. Um, you know, you just set a great example for what it means to be excited about the world that we get to live in every day. Um, Mm. So I'm grateful for that, man. Thank you for having me on. Thank you, man, for the kind words. It really, it means a lot, man. And I appreciate it. Um, And I hope we will definitely, whenever we're in the same town, we'll, uh, we'll eat, we'll eat something because it's always about food. Some good food, man. Let's eat some (laughs) scorpion. If, uh, if people want to follow you, maybe they want to reach out to you. Do you have anywhere online that you want to direct them to or no? Oh man, I don't even know my, I don't even know my own handle. Uh, I think my my Instagram is at Jacob Garza 03. I got you. I'm about to search it up right here. I should have uh, this written down. I don't know why I don't, but Jacob Garza three. Three. There you go. No zero three. Yeah. J A C O B. J G A R Z A three. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I don't have a huge online media presence, but, uh, I try to keep people updated with my life. And yeah. So I like that story you did of, uh, I don't know. You were, you were doing this character of like a bald dude. <laughs> oh, you shaved your head. <laughs> you had a mustache. Oh, when I, oh, oh, uh, Robbie Garrick. Yeah. <laughs> you did like this whole little skit. <laughs> it was yeah, awesome. Because, bro, I just, I, when the hair came off my head, bro, it was like I f- was in a new skin, man. I was just a whole <laughs> Robbie Garrick was just waiting. He was hiding under all that hair, waiting to get out, man. <laughs> Down the world. That's amazing, bro. Yeah. Well, all right, dude. Um, we'll talk to you later. Uh, to everyone listening, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you next time. Hey there. If you enjoyed this episode, well, green light. New episodes of The Dose of Caesar come out every week, so make sure to follow and subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts. If you feel that more people should listen to this podcast and share this episode with your tribe. If you want to connect with me, or if you just want some extra doses of Cesar, of Caesar, of Cesarin Pinguin, then you can sign up for my free weekly email newsletter called The Caesar Encyclopedia, where I share what I learn every week. Or... You can reach out to me on Instagram at the dose of Caesar. We'll see you next time.